Respectfully. 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 A melanated therapist. Welcome in and welcome home, family. I'm Rade. And I'm Dimitri. And this is Respectfully, a melanated therapist podcast. Just a quick disclaimer this is not therapy. We're just two people who are doing a podcast who happen to be therapists. The information in our podcast is for psychoeducation and entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of therapeutic resources, please feel free to contact us and we'll point you in the right direction. All right. So before we kick off the show, let's talk a little bit about how you can support us. If you would like to show support, please share our podcast on social media, tag at RespectfullyMT, rate the show and write reviews just to let us know you're listening and enjoying the show. Thank you for that, friend. All right, fam. So today we will be talking about substance use and addiction treatment. To help us navigate this conversation, we have a very, very special guest with us today. For the episode, my close friend, our fellow colleague, Jessica Walker. Hello, everyone. Thank you. (laughs) So, Jess, you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and just some information about you, some background? Yes, of course. Uh, Well, my name is Jessica Walker, and I am a therapist here in Tampa, Florida. Um, I worked in the field of mental health and substance since 2014. I'm currently a therapist for a company called Life Stance, uh, which we can be found in person, telehealth, just by Googling Life Stance. And I am a new author of a book called Bees Pound Cake, Feeding Mental Health for the Soul. Yes, it's a self-help guide and journal. Uh, just to address mental health in day-to-day, all of us as human beings have some level of, of mental health capacity that we should be addressing um, and in order to get us back to our, the best version of ourselves. So I'm hoping to release that as well I love that. Uh, over the summer. So nice. I love me. that. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. It takes a lot to to write a book and a self-help one at that. Like, not only are you thinking about you, you have to consider everybody else that's going to be using this. So I know Mm. we're going to talk about it later, but uh, fangirling, fangirling as fuck. (laughs) But um, do you have any website or social media or anything that you would like people to follow? If not, totally okay, but just want to give you the opportunity. Sure. Um, You can definitely follow Bees Pound Cake um, at Bees Pound Cake, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. Um, and also my personal Instagram page is walkerj underscore one. I will be uploading more information about the book on the upcoming months, but Bees Pound Cake is where you can find out more information about the book and therapy services and so forth. And we will um, write uh, how you spell Bees Pound Cake and everything in the, in the bio and the show notes so you guys can go ahead and follow Jess. Yes. Okay. So as Rade said, we will be discussing substance abuse and addiction treatment. For the sake of today's episode, we will focus solely on substance addiction. However, it is important that we acknowledge other types of addictions that can exist, which include but are not limited to sex, gambling, shopping, and pornography. So what is substance addiction? It is characterized by a recurring desire to continue taking the drug despite harmful consequences. So in talking about addiction, we have to address the seven stages of addiction. And this is a little bit long-winded, guys. So if you really want to get into these seven stages, take a moment, pause, take out your pen and paper, do whatever you got to do. This could help you or anybody else that you know that's, you know, struggling with addiction, okay? 
So these stages are here to help us understand how use of substances transition from recreational usage to addiction and dependence due to misusing a drug. Initiation is the first stage, which is where the person will try the substance for the very first time. Next is experimentation. It's, this is a stage where you are trying the drug in different contexts to determine how it impacts your life. Then you have regular usage, which is the transition from sporadic use or periodic use to a pattern of usage. This does not have to be every day, but this could be every other day. It could be one time a week. It could be two times a week. Next, you have risky usage. This is the stage that the use begins to impact the individual's life in a negative way due to use in an inappropriate time. Or this could look like using at work, using when you're around family. This stage is often associated with hiding usage, borrowing or stealing money for use, or losing interest in old hobbies. Next, you have the dependence stage, which is when the person's drug use is no longer recreational or medical but rather it is due to becoming reliant on the substance of choice. This time is often a hallmark by withdrawal symptoms. At this stage, it is still a conscious choice to use. Next, you have the addiction stage. This occurs when the drug use is no longer a conscious choice, and it's often not recognized that it's a detriment to the use. So what this means is that you're not even recognizing that the use is becoming problematic to you anymore. This is just part of your day-to-day. It's part of what your body needs, it's part of what you need, but you're not even, or like cognitively, it's what you need, and you're not even recognizing that it's a necessity at that time. The last stage is the crisis usage slash treatment stage. This is also known as rock bottom. When the addiction has grown far out of the person's control and it now presents as a serious danger to their well-being, this stage is typically resulting in use causing dramatic life events or fatal overdose. So dramatic life events could be anything like a car crash, going to jail, you know, having fallouts with family, interventions, things like that. Awesome. Okay. In addition to the stages of addiction, there are five stages of change by Prochaska and De Clemente, which focus more on the mindset of the person struggling with addiction. So first you have the pre-contemplation stage which is when an individual is in denial and is not seriously considering changing their behavior because the problem associated with the drug use is not recognized. Then you have the contemplation stage, which is when the person may see reasons to change their behavior, but they are hesitant. This is also known as ambivalence. Next, we have the preparation stage, which is the stage where the person has decided to change their behavior and is planning on next steps, such as the decision to go to treatment. Um, Minor changes may occur, but use does not cease at this time. Then we have the action stage, which is the stage of taking significant steps to discontinue use, such as individual um, avoiding triggers, reaching out for help, or talking to or taking other steps to avoid temptation. And then you have the maintenance stage is when the person's healthy behaviors from the action stage are maintained for at least 12 months. And within these 12 months, some challenges may be faced, such as lapses, um, but they are able to use coping skills to maintain their sobriety. Okay, thanks for that. So, Jess, I know that we just gave a whole bunch of psychoeducation around this. Um, Before I start to ask you questions about you and your entrance into this field and this work, do you feel like there's anything that we really need to add to these stages or like one of the stages that we kind of need to elaborate on? No, I I feel like it was very informative. I think maybe just to, you know, highlight on the part of 
the addiction stage occurs where people are no longer cautious of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You gave a good example of maybe a dramatic life event, like a car accident. Um, I've worked with lots of clients that have become addicted to pain medication. Um, Maybe it was prescribed to them to use for so long. And then they just got used to using the medication. And when it was time to come off of it, they suffered from major, you know, withdrawal symptoms. Um, and they were not able to get off of those powerful medications alone. So they had to either check into a rehab or um, something of the sorts. And so day to day, a lot of times people, they really, they don't recognize once their body becomes dependent upon it. I think that's something to definitely highlight because it happens more often than people think. Yeah, definitely. So with that being said, when you decided on this population, you wanted to serve as a clinician, what led you to wanting to work with people struggling with addiction? It, I can't lie, kind of fell into my lap. Um, I do have family members that struggle with their own addiction issues, uh, including both of my parents. Um, but as I entered into grad school, I knew for sure I wanted to be a counselor. My very first job was at a drug rehab, and it literally fell into my lap. Um, I noticed this population was completely different from those that only suffer from maybe anxiety, depression. Um, They had something extra on top top of that. Um, And so, it. I mean, literally, I went from being a behavioral health tech and, and being able to talk to people outside of a group setting or... Uh, I would have people come talk to me that did not want to talk to their own therapist um, about, mm-hmm. you know, the various activities that they were dealing with. And right away, I just knew addiction was the population that I wanted to to work with. Okay. So wait, Demetric, really quick question, or before you like move on, I have a question just, did you... <sighs> Did you like love this when you first walked into it? Because I I ran from this field, you know. But so I know <laughs> us, I did. I did. And I, I really feel like part of it was the staff that I worked with. I also had a chance to start from the bottom in our field. Um, especially if you decide to work in substance, one of the first, I guess, like bottom jobs is a behavioral tech. So you're not really mm-hmm. running groups, you're not really you're kind of responsible for um, almost like a, what do you call it? Like a hallway patrol monitor, right? You're just trying to make sure the clients are not getting into trouble, but you see everything that the psychiatrist does not see that the therapist does not see. And Mm -hmm. so clients will come and talk to you more about their day to day, but also about their experiences. Um, I work with people that were homeless and so forth. And so getting to know them on a more human level, instead of, treating them more so like a patient or a client, um, I connected with those clients a lot faster. And it's not for nothing, but I've met a lot of very um, complex people and just entertaining yeah. <laughs> folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so it kind of just reminded me maybe even of some of my own family members and so forth. Um, and it really taught me a lot about compassion very early. And so I just knew like, this is the field that I know for for certain that I want to remain in. And I did. I did. That's what's up. And shout mm-hmm. out to all the behavior techs out there in mental health. For period. real. When yes. I tell you, I'm so glad for that you real. brought it up because the way that you explained it, it made so much more sense to, you know, 
Because, you know, I've been in different settings and usually a behavior tech, that's who you call to, to bring them on down when they when they get a little too too um, rowdy, uh, for a lack of better terms. But honestly, it is the, you are the people who they talk to on a regular basis and connect mm-hmm. more with. Um, not saying they don't connect with their psychiatrist or the therapist, but when you see someone every day, it's almost kind of like going to school. You know what I mean? Right. Like you connect with the people that you see the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, Mm -hmm. so my question is, um, what are some of the most common mental health challenges that adults struggling with addiction have when they finally start treatment? I would say, um, number one is not showing themselves enough grace. A lot of times, you know, clients and patients, they deal with, um, what is it? They deal with a lot of guilt and shame, embarrassment. And so even Mm -hmm. though they know that they are doing the right thing to try to, you know, change their lives and, and get themselves together. One of the, the biggest struggles for them is actually fully committing and knowing that what they're doing is the right thing and feeling that they deserve mm-hmm. to be able to have a second opportunity at life. That's, that is one of the, the biggest things. Sometimes I just want to look at them and be like, but you're doing so much or you're doing such a mm-hmm. good job. Um, and mm-hmm. that often leads to, to relapse. Um, as well. Yeah. So that is definitely one of the biggest things. I think I've said the word grace a million times over. Like you have to show yourself some grace. You have to get to a place of learning how to forgive yourself. Um, and mm-hmm. that is definitely one of the, the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. Do you okay. notice any like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, um, you know, some of the work environments that I've been in and just some of the things that I'm seeing, you know, you have um, individuals who, you know, come in primarily with substance abuse issues or challenges. And then you have some who have a pre-existing mental health condition, which then ignites the substance use. And we refer to that as dual diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that there's not many spaces um I'm sorry, co-occurring or dual um, diagnosis, but there's not many spaces for co-occurring, for the co-occurring population. So what are, um, in your experience, what are some of the main differences between someone who's just primary substance abuse or addiction versus those who um, have co-occurring disorders? I think you explained it just right. I feel like every client or individual that has an issue with substance addiction period, they do have a mental Mm -hmm. health disorder. Um, mm-hmm. Now, according to DSM-5, that's when you can definitely rate in there if it's very severe or if it's mild or mm-hmm. if it's not as um, as prevalent as someone else's issue. But just like you said, there are certain things or experiences that have led them to feel that they needed to have a different outlet. And their outlet, unfortunately, was whether pain pills or you know, alcohol or what have you, and it just happened mm-hmm. to take over. Um, that's why a lot of times the focus is let's get you sober first. Let's try to take mm-hmm. the addiction or the substance piece away. Now we can focus mm-hmm. more so on the mental, you know, the mental health side of it. But 10 times out of 10, if a person does come in, they they absolutely have chloroquine disorders. Now the mm-hmm. the difference that comes into it is the treatment modality. Does this person need medication or not? Or does this person need more of a holistic approach towards um, getting better? Some people is just removing them from their environment. And so going to rehab works for them. But other people going to rehab works in the moment. But when they get home, they're back into that environment and dealing with those same things. And that's where the relapse piece comes from. So 
both definitely have the the mental health side to it. It's just really mm-hmm. learning how to kind of address it. Okay, come through counseling, author. No, come right. <laughs> so let me ask this: for if someone is listening right now to this and they're struggling with addiction and self medicating, what could be some of the warning signs that they know that they're starting to self medicate rather than just like it's showing that they're moving through these transitions of the stages, so to speak? Oh, um, I would try to Good look question, at, or I call them, some people call them triggers. I like to call them mm-hmm. early warning signs um, that we, mm-hmm. we kind of ignore, but they they really should look at how their day-to-day is being affected, whether it's their personal relationships, perhaps um, work tasks, right? Um, are they sleeping more than usual? Are they eating more than usual? Um, they definitely want to take a look at how their personal health is. And even listening to how people are reacting to them, sometimes people closest to them will tell them, hey, I'm noticing something different. You know, are they being more defensive about it? Or are they actually listening to those that, that love and care about them? But if their day-to-day is starting to become affected, um, those are all red flags. Those are all things to take a closer look at. Also, if they notice, and it's interesting you, you asked that question every day. I just saw a commercial about vaping, and I know I'm probably going off a little bit, but a young lady was, they were getting ready to go to a basketball game, and the young lady was looking through her locker for stuff, and her teammate came mm-hmm. and told her, like, the bus yeah. is getting ready to leave. And she's like, I, I I don't care. And she finally found her vape pen, and they show her outside, you know, sitting, smoking her vape pen, and everybody else is going to the basketball game but her. And not even realizing, wow. like, she could not get to the game or get on the bus the for game. a teammate because mm-hmm. she was looking for that big pin. That was a good example of addiction. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for that. So mm-hmm. self-medicating in particular, if they're noticing the changes in their day-to-day or even how they're responding to those those issues that are coming up in their day-to-day with substances will be some good signs. Okay. Gotcha. Well, so another, oh, we're going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say something. So, and you know, this could just, you know, for, you know, substance addiction one-on-one for beginners. So, um, (laughs) you know, just, you know, never know what someone needs to know. So, um, is there, so I guess, is is it possible for someone to self-medicate and not be considered to have a um, substance use disorder? Oh, I I think it's a level to it. I I think mm-hmm. that it depends on DSM five and how mm-hmm. how long it's been happening. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of telltale signs too is is the physical symptoms that a person may have if they're on their mm-hmm. last pill, and maybe even just mentally noticing like, oh my gosh, I'm on my last pill. What am I going to do? Or the medication mm-hmm. is gone. And now their body mm-hmm. is in shock, whether it's sweats or jitters, tremors mm-hmm. may tend to take mm-hmm. place. Um, those are signs, you know, as well. But if a person is, say that same person got into an accident and they took the medications or pain pills as they should, mm-hmm. and they're able to go back to just life as normal physically without it, whether it's physical therapy and so forth then that person was mm-hmm. able to take the medication as a doctor prescribed without it going overboard into a substance substance use gotcha. issue. Yeah, but if they're definitely feeling those physical symptoms, 
um, or um, mentally they're starting to think they can't move forward without the medication. Mm -hmm. Those are red flags that's starting to become more of a, uh, that's crossing the line of substance, substance abuse. Gotcha. Or, gotcha. Um, and one more okay. thing, Dimitri, or if they notice they're taking more than they're supposed to, that's mm -hmm. called illicit substance use of your medication. That's a telltale mm -hmm. sign mm -hmm. as well. You're taking more uh, Xanax or more Percocet or more um, mm -hmm. of those medications than what the doctor prescribed. Perhaps they feel their pain tolerance level has gotten a little bit weaker and they need three mm -hmm. to four more pills than the one to two they're prescribed, that's mm -hmm. a, that is pushing into the substance abuse side as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Because, you know, I, I just, um, the only reason I say this, so I'm not talking about all substances, of course, but, you know, there's a lot of, you know, marijuana users and, you know, sometimes, <laughs> you know, and there's so, it, it's, that's a whole different conversation. I'm going to try not to talk too much about it, but, you know, at the end of the day, there's, I know that there's so many health benefits to, to utilizing, you know, marijuana, like, you know, for cancer patients and things like that. And, you know, um, you know, they have all this, you know, CBD stuff that you can use that doesn't, you know, have THC in it, but it still has those properties to help with pain and things like that. But, you know, from that aspect of it, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, okay, well, ultimately it's just recreation. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, being able to understand the fine line, that there's a fine line between, you know, self-medicating versus mm -hmm. you're in the addiction area now, and that mm -hmm. is problematic. And now it, it's possibly a time for you to seek treatment. 100%. So what are, or what is the most challenging aspect of working in substance use treatment settings? Um, the burnout. Burnout is the most challenging um and that's that's where it comes into to play for the actual clinician to learn how to use some of the techniques that we're teaching um those that are there for treatment themselves um i don't i never want to blame it on the clientele or the type of people that we're working with because they're there for a reason right they they're there to to have some help themselves um but I, and I don't, I, cause I could totally veer off and say, well, you know, when these clients, when they relapse and they come back, and, you know, that that's kind of expected, but I would take it more on a employee standpoint is the burnout of it all. It could be a lot dealing with those that become dependent upon you, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. They go from being dependent upon substance to dependent upon you. And so, um, it could be challenging trying to help people with building autonomy. Yeah. That's why I headed out, girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I that headed out. The, most, me, the, yeah. the autonomy it takes, a, it takes a special individual to, oh to work God. with substance um, addiction. Because um, it's not for the faint of heart, just to put no. it out there. And, you know, um, you know, it's unfortunate at any level of, you know, mental mental illness that people, you know, they leave this earth, you know, sometimes not, mm -hmm. you know, get it to the other side of sobriety or into recovery. But um, at the same time, the clinicians or the behavioral techs or the people who've been a part of that treatment lose those individuals. And it's a whole different type of grief that a clinician experiences. Um, so I guess my question is, and I'm pretty Rade, uh, sure Rade can kind of answer this too, is how has that been working with a client in the substance abuse or addiction field and losing them to that fight? I've actually had uh, 
I've actually had clients that I work with in more than one treatment setting um, and they lost their battle to addiction. I think going into it, having an understanding that you can't save everyone and being very mm-hmm. realistic mm-hmm. about it and also brushing up and knowing just the lifespan and the process of, of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Almost like a doctor, you know, that goes into it or a surgeon or, you know, just mm-hmm. dealing with medical field altogether, knowing that, um, again, lifespan, right? And so yeah. our, I always try to keep in the forefront of my brain that I'm here to plant seeds. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times I'm just here to kind of water and kind of help shed some light. Um, and mm-hmm. in many cases, I'm not there to see to see those seeds grow. But my, my sole job is to at least try to plant them. And so, right. and, yeah. yeah, I would definitely agree. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I've definitely um, been there where I have lost, you know, patients before, clients before um, to addiction and they've passed and stuff like that. I will say that um, every setting that I've been in, um, you know, even just being one of my supervisors before, like it's always a supportive setting to be in when you've lost a patient um, because Mm -hmm. they all understand, you know, because Mm -hmm. you want to plant those seeds and you want to be able to see them grow and come to fruition. And a lot of times, Jess is right. We don't get to see that. Even after leaving the work that we were doing together, I went on to do more (laughs) of that work Mm -hmm. and lost even more patients, whether that Mm -hmm. was them going back to prison due to regression or Mm -hmm. them actually dying, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I think that, you know, as a clinician, we we move through a different process than maybe other clients do. Um, A lot of the clients, a lot of the time, we're just kind of like, it just is what it is, you know, forcing themselves Mm -hmm. not to get close to their to their peers because they understand the place that they're in because they're they were in a similar place. Whereas Mm -hmm. us, we're looking at this person and the way we're looking at them is, yes, where they are right now, right? We're meeting them where they are, but we're also looking at, I can see where you can be because mm-hmm. I can see mm-hmm. all of your strengths. And that's what I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to because that's what we're looking forward to. And mm-hmm. so I think that moment can be just really devastating and heartbreaking, but also it definitely puts into perspective how real this shit is and, mm-hmm. you know, how quickly someone can be here and how quickly they cannot be. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you both for that. Um, So, Jessica, of the seven stages of addiction, which do you encounter the most in your work and how do you navigate that? I would say the one that um, I encounter the most is the crisis uses in the the treatment stage. By the time they Mm -hmm. actually come and visit with me, they've either hit their rock bottom in the process of going through it. Or for some, they are just right there um, where they have probably encountered an experience um, that pushed them into having to go into treatment. Um, and mm-hmm. so that crisis stage can, it looks like, oh, my husband's going to divorce me. My kids aren't talking to me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I've collected my third DUI. I'm facing jail time or prison time. Um, or, you know, they seriously hurt themselves or others, or maybe they've gotten to a place of being suicidal, um, and, or Mm -hmm. drug overdose. And so luckily in the treatment setting, it's more than just the clinician, you know, that's there. You work with a team of Mm -hmm. of folks, 
Um, and so to handle that, we, you know, of course, would come up with treatment plans and different things that we can do, different interventions to be able to help and preferably have that person mm-hmm. go through a setting where they're not around substances, where they actually have 24-hour mm-hmm. care um, and hopefully go down within. There's different um, levels that they can go through of treatment that actually equals mm-hmm. out to a year if they actually follow follow that plan all the way through. That includes inpatient, okay. outpatient treatment. So then gotcha. what about, if, as we look at the seven stages of addiction, do you notice any specific... Um, stage of change that people are in when they normally first come to treatment? A lot of them are in uh, pre-contemplation. They really don't want to be there. They really don't care to talk to you. They really, <laughs> they don't want to stop doing mm-hmm. what they're doing. They could care less. Um, again, oftentimes because they're in that crisis usage stage, they're probably pushed into, into treatment. Um, you will get those people that may be in contemplation stage, right? They notice that there is an issue and so they're kind of ready to make changes for themselves. They just don't know where to start. And so those two are the biggest ones, the pre-contemplation and, and contemplation stage of change when they're first coming in into treatment, I would say. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, so what advice would you give to someone struggling with addiction that is considering treatment or someone that has a loved one who is struggling with addiction and wants to help them? I would say do some research. Um, first, um, definitely do some research and try to reach out and have a conversation, a real conversation with loved ones, just to have some additional feedback and some additional support. Um, but looking into the different types of treatment modalities or different type of treatment settings that are out there for some people, just going to a regular therapist can kind of help, um, for others, they may need to outsource to other groups. Um, such as AA groups, and they have things like that for families, like Al-Anon. Um, there's cocaine anonymous groups and so forth. Um, but I would definitely try to do a, a little bit of research into it first. Um, SAMHSA is a good website that they can use. There's information there for those that are struggling with addictions, as well as uh, for people that are supporting them, family members, and so forth. So I would say try to get educated on it first. Okay. Thank you for that. Okay. So we spent this particular episode discussing addiction treatment, but we also like to hear about your new book. So can you tell us the name of it, where we can get it and what it's all about? So the book is, I'm hoping that it'll be out this summer. I actually spent, uh, this is 2023. I spent about six months of 20. 21 writing the book when I was a therapist at a psych mm-hmm. hospital. Uh, that's when things really came to fruition for me working in substance and mental health. And I came across a lot of people that after the pandemic, they really struggled with um, mm-hmm. issues that they didn't realize that they had. I, I ran into a lot of people that became suicidal and so forth. Never, they've never had a mental health issue before, never had a traumatic experience Mm -hmm. happen, but being home with their husbands or wives and kids all day long, different things like that, different things came up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was often asked, you know, do you do therapy outside of here? Just bringing to light, um, helping people understand different warning signs um, and different things Mm -hmm. that they can do, holistic approaches, whether it's meditation, yoga, Mm -hmm. learning how to get back to them. Um, that's what really mm-hmm. geared me into writing this book, this journal. So it's called mm-hmm. Bees Pound Cake and it's B-E-A apostrophe S. 
B is actually gotcha. my grandmother's first name. Her name was Beatrice. And so I called it nice. Bee's Pound Cake, Feeding the Health for the Soul. And uh, Bee's yes. Pound Cake is literally a metaphor, but I have a recipe in the book to pretty much help people get back to themselves, learning how to look at their early warning signs, um, mm-hmm. red flag, different things that have been happening over time, learning how to set healthy boundaries, mm-hmm. um, learning how to, and boundaries with their time. Right, their emotions, their yeah. intellect, mm-hmm. material things, money, goal setting, how to get back to hobbies, learning, patience, not instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And along along with that, I have different tidbits or things my grandma would say. There's lots of pictures and mm-hmm. things in there of that nature. And then I also have lines where people can journal, actually write out their thoughts nice. while they're following along. Mm-hmm. So it's literally a recipe, a recipe for feeding the soul. Um, and again, I'm doing, nice. yes, I'm hoping to drop this, this summer. That is, that is the goal along with working on, um, studying for my exam for licensure. So, so many good things to come. Yes. So Girl, I just want to ask, I, like I, know somebody, I know it's somebody out there feeling <laughs> the same way as me. Um, honey, did you give us a uh, grandma recipe for the pound cake? That's what I know. Y'all can't have that one. Y'all can't have that recipe. Listen, that was one of those recipes where she just about took that to the grave. My granny passed mm-hmm. at the age of 92 and I caught her just like months before in out of space. And I was like, let me get that recipe. Mm-hmm. And she gave it to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, you are. So, listen, that, that is a quick. blessing. Yes. Because so. my grandmother, she's still here. And I think she's she's in her early 90s. But honey, them sweet potato pies, that cornbread mm-hmm. and that pound cake. I'm like, mm. Lord, I'm like, mama, because I call my grandma mama. I'm like, mama, do you, did you write them down? Like where they at? She was like, no, I just, I did it by memory. And I'm like, dang. I was like, so now I got to go and tell these people stoves and figure out how to, the right combination of these ingredients to get to where yeah. she had and oh, pound cakes are like so meticulous. I made one um last uh Thanksgiving and uh it's a it process. was definitely a labor of love. I it had me anxious. It had me anxious, but it came out perfect. I commend you. I would yeah. not so, dare. I would not dare. I, I, it's gonna be, you know, I'm gonna put it in the picture frame somewhere one day, but I'm not even gonna try it. Mm-mm. Not even going to try it. But yeah, definitely you know, a family recipe passed down. Like, <laughs> yes, definitely. <sighs> we definitely need to be better at that because there's certain little staple items, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're getting older, so that means that you know a lot of the the hierarchy Don't of our family. Old. We are getting older. Uh, I'm embracing it. Yes, yes, we are. Listen, yes. We are. Yes, listen. Uh, I'm getting younger. I don't know what listen, y'all listen. Know. When uh, this this, this uh, hairline I in, um, inherited from my daddy started to show itself, I was like, okay, let's go ahead and accept this. Yes, Daddy's getting a little older. Look, okay, one is acceptance, just like in uh, yes, the twelve, yes. Like in the twelve step, the first step you have to have a problem. <laughs> yes, okay. for real. No. But but real talk, we do need to start, you know, Mm -hmm. getting those things together so that we can pass them down to to future generations so that, you know, all of that stuff that our grandparents and our great grandparents did and those legacies that, you know, they they've created and keeping us together. um, We should be able to pass that down to each other so that we can keep, you know, those memories and and, um, togetherness 
intact. But you know, sometimes it doesn't happen. So you know, and then I feel like at that point, if you if, if your 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 um, people are gone and there's no longer available, then create your own, and then you start passing mm-hmm. those down to to your family members and and stuff like that. So you know, I'm a um. I'm like a, a top chef when it comes to homemade mac and cheese, but I ain't giving y'all my recipe yet. I know but I give right. it to you before that's I go. That's what Jess says too about homemade mac and cheese. Right. And full circle, eat, I'm no, sorry. And full circle with this book. That's why I'm like, let's get this recipe together. Okay. So that way you can mm-hmm. you can pass down these healthy, yeah. these healthy you habits. And, you know, this exactly. is something that um, our folks definitely need to tap into mm-hmm. um, because it's for everybody, you know. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm obsessed with the fact that you wrote a self-help book and it's a recipe book. Like it's honestly, it's like, I think it's just, you know, giving your flowers to people, you know, our elders is one thing. And another thing to just recognize, like you can pour into yourself through helping you through, mm-hmm. you know, pouring into you and nothing like a pound cake. Y'all like, mm-hmm. y'all had a pound cake. I know y'all have pound cake. All pound cakes are not created equal. No, no they're, they're not. not. <laughs> no, they're not. But, but no, let's be but real. You when you have piece. like, right. <laughs> when, but let's be real though. Like they're not created equal kind of thing. And definitely, you know, we, we've seen this. We, we understand. But the other <laughs> side of this is, is that, you know, everybody has their own little like sweet recipe to pound cake, which is why they're not creating. Exactly. That's why I feel exactly. like this book in particular, like I that I don't know, it just touches my heart, it touches my soul, it touches my spirit. Thank you for writing this. Thank you for putting this out into the world. Thanks, of course. thanks for taking yes, your time because yes. this I agree. They don't even know what they want no, to get. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and yes, the book has been done right now. It's the, uh, the, it's the publishing that I'm working on. And last year, I literally was ready with three separate book launches and just ready to push stuff into gear. And God was like, you know what? So you wrote this book and the things that are in there, I need you to make sure that you follow suit. So when you get ready to share this information, you know firsthand how to not only use the book, but the information that's in there you've done it as well. And so literally last mm-hmm. year was my journey through Bees Pound Cake. And now that I've, I've gotten nice. through that and, you know, again, so many other blessings and things that have happened to me this year, like simultaneously, I'm like, this is the, this is the year, God, I had to wait. Well, I had to wait for one year. Learning that it's not mm-hmm. my time is. And so I promise it <laughs> will be done. Right. <laughs> it will be, it's already for you. <laughs> right? Won't it do it. It's already written. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I had got a little touch. Of, I had got a little touch of the spirit. You got a little God touch is good. I, I felt it. You know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the rising tomorrow. Okay. This is what. Yes. 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 You better yes, right. <laughs> You're moving the stone tomorrow. Yes. I love it. Happy Resurrection Day is almost here. Yes, yes. <laughs> Get to it. Uh, I love All right. That. I mean, well, do you feel like? Can you tell us the first chapter of this book? Can you tell oh us today and give us yes. a little? Thank you. So the first chapter is well. I want to. I want to breeze past the first one. Is craving cake? What brings you here? I want to just zoom past that because okay. that's just people going into like, why Why are you ready to work on yourself, right? right. Like, why, why do you want this new recipe? Mm. I feel like one of the I most that, important though. chapters is the second one and it is your kitchen queen. 
early warning signs. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you all. Early warning signs? <laughs> I don't know about you all, but the way I was raised, old school grandma, there's no way I'm going to cook in a dirty kitchen. So I need Period. to make sure everything is, is nice and clean before I get ready to cook. So with knowing your early... And clean as you go. Period. So knowing your mm. early warning signs, <laughs> we need to take a look at what's going on with you emotionally, physically, and behaviorally. What are those things that maybe you have ignored for some time, whether it's years, weeks, months? And we have to take a look at those things that have been getting in the way of the best version of you before we can start anywhere, before we can start a healing process, before we can get grounded and centered in mindfulness. Let's take a look at these early warning signs. So is, is your kitchen clean? Talk about that. Mm, love it. Oh, I'm obsessed already. <laughs> I can't. Listen, I'm, listen I'm, ready to, I'm ready to get my copy. I'm ready so to I get can... my book. <laughs> listen. listen, I even want like, you know, as we've been talking about this, I am... I'm starting a group with my private practice and I want to use this as a tool. Oh I already know. Like I want to use this as a tool for nice. my group. Like even if we're pulling some pages from it, you know, not moving through the whole mm-hmm. thing, but just pulling it together, especially if it's going to be open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. This and is that's tea. exactly the this way that tea. I wrote it. Um, I see myself doing groups, you know, with this. I do have a goal of making a mental health center. And I want it to be almost like, you know, men's groups, women's groups. Men can come in for barbershop conversation, make it their own. Um, But also like a a space where they can, you know, work out and have more of a holistic approach to therapy. Um, And this is just the first Mm. one. I have plans of a series, one for men, one for women, one for teens. Um, again, like God showed me the nice. vision, and and so that's what I'm hoping today. I'm hoping that people that other oh my God, I just this. got chills. <laughs> well, I'm here for you, honey. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I love that. Congratulations, <laughs> so just you know, and not yes. just on the on the book, but for hearing God's purpose, you know, his his right. his path that he has for you because life is life and for a lot of people right now. And you know, and I'm sorry, you know, for those who may, you know, may not be spiritual or religious, but you know, we in this place are. So um, you know, being able to hear that plan and that purpose, that's a blessing because sometimes because of life, it gets so noisy mm-hmm. that you don't hear him speaking to you or or, mm-hmm. or ordering your steps. Um, so the fact that you were able to listen and follow. Yes. 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 So I'm so, that is such a blessing and I'm so happy for you. And I can't wait to see all of that, that you are going to bring it to fruition. And um, just a, that center or holistic center for men, especially black men, that is going to be mm-hmm. amazing because, you know, no matter how much we say, go to therapy, therapy's good, therapy's healing, therapy's wonderful. Come talk like, to eh, us. Eh. Nope. So <laughs> But if I got to sit your black ass in this barber chair to get you to talk yes. to me, then sit on down to get this hat done. Right. And have yes, this good conversation. They have great conversations <laughs> in barbershops. It's just great ones. Literally. They really imagine, do. you know, having someone there that uh, specializes, you know, in this and can relate. And everything is relatable to everything because we're human. Um, and so mm-hmm. normalizing that it's okay to have a conversation about information off of someone we don't know. Everything, but being open minded to the experience. Let me find out. I need to go get my barber license so I can be a barber slash uh, LMFC (laughs) in your building. (laughs) 
listen, listen. That's an idea, okay? Let's, what's your, let's, what's your let's think what's about you that. You want, you, want a, you want a fade? Okay, well, what's going on let's in your life today? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why are you want oh, a different type of haircut? It might be time to release things you know like yeah, yeah listen mm-hmm. for real <laughs> listen my no lie my barber did that to me so i am a uh i could be a real creature of habit and consistency and i used to always just get a even all over that's what i call it a wave cut even all over so one day <laughs> i went to the barber as normal sat down and um he cut on the clippers and he went to start and then he cut them off he was like you always want your hair like this and I was like, well, what you trying to say? He was like, you'll never try nothing new. I was like, but well, I had been going to him for a, for a long time. So it was, that was usual. You know, I didn't feel any type of way about it. I'm like, well, what you thinking? He was like, you know, well, let's, let's try a little fade on the side, you know, fade around. And I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. He was like, just try it. And then I tried it. And now that's how I've been wearing my hair for years now. So, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's very therapeutic in the barbershop is basically what I'm getting mm-hmm. at. Just from the simplest things as, hey, let's get you out your comfort zone. Like, you know, let's try something different, you know. And at the end of the day, these people are, um, I don't want to call because they I don't want to call them beauty specialists, but they they specialize in in bringing out your features and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, they see things that we don't see. So, hey, how about you try something new? Because this haircut may look better on you. Versus this one may look better on you, et cetera, et cetera. But also, you know, he doesn't know all of my, my, that I have anxiety and that Mm -hmm. I'm a creature of habit and all those things. But he was like, hey, you know, why not try something new? And little did he know he helped get me out of my comfort zone to say, hey, you know what? It is okay. Or reinforcing that it's okay to try new things and step outside of yourself sometimes. And And it was a safe place to do it. It sounds like you've been going on him for years. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. Go ahead. Well, I'm ready well, for it. I'm ready for this symptom. I'm going to be the first one in line for a membership. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> baby. Call me, okay? okay. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> okay. Well, before we get into the earth lesson, um, y'all, I just want to point out, this is, you know, on this podcast, we're always talking about using your people as resources and understanding what kind of resource they are. And I just want to point out that, like, this is what I'm talking about, Okay. This right. is what I'm talking about. You know, right. like just being a resource, like this is what I'm talking about. Utilizing your people and understanding what their purpose that understand what their purpose is. When they understand what their purpose is, when you understand what yours is, you're able to utilize as utilize each other and your strengths and understand how you guys fit together. Not only is she, you know, in this field, of course, but just also an amazing friend. And when you can do when you can have both. Yeah, that's that's what we need. That's what we need. More of that. (laughs) Okay, so Earth Lesson for this week, you guys, is overcoming addiction is a challenge. And an even more challenging step is receiving help. Lean into your support and give yourself grace through such a challenging process. Respectfully, a melanated therapist. All right, fam, remember to follow us on Instagram at RespectfullyMT and send your question and topic requests to RespectfullyMT at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for joining us today, Jess. Would you like to share your social media handles with our listeners again and information about your book one last time? Yes. Uh, there'll be more information about the book on both Instagram and Facebook. And that's B's Pound Cake, one word, B-E-A-S-P-O-U-N-D-C-A-K-E, B's Pound Cake. And also my personal Instagram is Walker, W-A-L-K-E-R-J-A-Y underscore one. 
Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. It was a pleasure to see you again. It had been so long and it was this episode was great. I'm I'm so glad that you came and shared share your your gift with us today. Yay. Well, Thank you. Until next time, fam. Peace. Respectfully. 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 A melanated therapist.